We want to turn together, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Now, the message I'm going to preach, I have preached here a long time ago, but it has been in my heart, and the, you'll understand why, because it's a very relevant and significant message, and it's something that we have to be aware of and made aware of constantly in our Christian walk. And I've also a confession to make, and that is my glass is almost broken too a few nights ago under, as we would say, on a wing and a prayer. So if a spare pair behind me, if these glasses fall in two, that could happen. I'm hoping it doesn't, but I better warn you in case just something happens like that. So it'll be entertaining for you, not for me. Um, okay, well, let's turn together to the scriptures in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. And we know God will bless the reading of his word. Now, there's a little crash um, for the children, so if you find that your child's getting a little bit noisy, just slip through to the crash. I think there's facilities there and, uh, for all, all the little children. It can be a little bit off-putting for others that maybe don't have children, and they come along, and if a little child's crying, they're frustrated, and it goes a bit like that, so it's not easy for either, but please take that into account. Uh, that um, if, if they are playing up to, to bring them into the wee crash. All right, let's unite in prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for your precious and living word. We thank you, Lord, for the joy of your salvation, for the reality of sins forgiven. And we pray, Lord, now that your Holy Spirit would come upon us. We pray, Lord, for a sense of your Spirit uh, to invade this gathering this morning. We pray that you would put a wall around us, Lord, and grant us a real consciousness of your presence. I give myself completely to you, Lord, and I pray that you will cleanse me and sanctify my spirit, my soul, and my body. And I pray and ask for that gracious anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to draw your attention this morning to this passage in Matthew chapter 6, where the Lord Jesus, speaking to his disciples, talked about a closet. In verse 6 of chapter 6, he said, But thou, when thou prayest, 
enter into thy closet. One of the things that is the evidence of the new birth when we become a Christian is that there is a desire for prayer. Uh, do you remember the story of Ananias? When Ananias heard the word that Paul or Saul of Tarsus had gone into um, a, a place of uh, salvation, the Lord had brought him, and then he was, he was in a location kind of semi-hiding. And the Lord had him in that place, and then the Lord came and spoke to Ananias, and he said to him, he said, I want you to go to that man. I want you to pray for him. Uh, the the uh, uh, Spirit of God will come upon him, and the, the uh, covering of his eyes will fall off, and he will get his sight back, and God will really minister to him. And then, of course, Ananias raised an objection and said, Lord, but do you not know that he has been killing the Christians, and he has been... And he raises all these objections. And the Lord then, by the Holy Spirit, says to him, Behold, he prayeth. Behold. That, that was the response that the Lord gave to the queries, the legitimate queries that Ananias had raised about this really terrorist to the church. Behold, he prayeth. So when a person becomes a Christian, there will be an automatic desire for prayer. It is as instinctive as breathing. Just as you need breath and it happens naturally, so that really is what prayer should become in the life of the Christian. And Jesus here is really drawing attention to the disciples in relation to their prayer life. And so I want to just take a few lessons this morning that we can learn and apply to our lives. Because I'm sure if I was talking to you privately, as I do to many people, I'm sure that you would be able to say about the difficulties that there are with prayer. You would raise many, many problems that you experience with prayer. And that's not unique. There are... <laughs> problems with prayer. And the Bible has much to say about those problems, and we will look at some of them as we pass through this passage. First of all, the Lord Jesus introduces a closet. A closet really was an inner chamber, a place of secrecy. Now, he didn't literally mean that you have to go to a place and close yourself in and if you don't do that, then you don't have a closet. What he meant was there has to be a place where you can privately meet with God. And that can be really anywhere, but it's the place where you find where you meet with God. And so there has to be a closet. That's one of the prerequisites to being a Christian. It's one of the essentials of being a Christian. I have a closet. I have a place where I wait on God. I have a place where I spend alone with God. Now, I hope today, if you profess to be a Christian, that you have such a place. And if you haven't, then that indicates that you're kind of, as we would say, on life support machine as far as being a Christian. There's problems. Because while there are difficulties in the life of prayer, nevertheless, if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, 
then the Holy Spirit, one of his titles is the Spirit of Supplication. So the Holy Spirit enables us and helps us in prayer. It's not that we are left to our own devices to prayer, but the Lord helps us in prayer. Now, whenever Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he first of all pointed out that there was such a place where they would wait before God. And that was very prevalent in the early church, especially when the early church was in persecution. Persecution is not pleasant, but it, it is very helpful. Persecution tends to separate men from boys. It separates the apostate church from the true church. It really discovers who really trusts God and who doesn't. And so the persecution was heavy on the early church, and so they learned very quickly that they needed to have their trust in God. And so you find in the book of Acts that there are numerous times of the apostles of the church, and they're going to prayer. It seems all the time they're praying. And then, of course, there are occasions when they did pray corporately, and amazing things happened, where, where on one occasion the building that they were in physically shook with the power of God where Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts 16, and they prayed and sang praises, and the earthquake came, and the prison shook. So this prayer, this thing we call prayer, can be very potent and very, very powerful. Uh, it's not wise to put it into the background of your life, because no matter how bright you may seem as a Christian. If your prayer life is poor or non-existent, then that really is where you are spiritually. You can measure your own spiritual life by your prayer life. That really is a good indicator. And the old saints, uh, many I have read of over the years, as they matured in their Christian life, what happened was rather than simply having a time of the day where they prayed, this became a pattern, almost like a meal, where they would, they would get up in the morning, they would spend time with God, then they would do their duties and chores, and then in the afternoon, then they would go, and it was like getting a meal. Um, they, just, they just learned to draw on God. Now, what we have to find out is, how did they do that? Or more importantly, how would I do that? How could I do that? And what are the benefits, blessings that could accrue into my life if I was waiting on God like that? Well, first of all, there is the closet. Secondly, he gives a warning or a caution. And he said to them, he said, when you've gone into your closet, then shut the door. Shut the door. A very obvious uh, indicator that there are many things that will prevent us from developing a life of prayer personally. There are many other things and people, there are demands on our lives that are legitimate, but those demands can kill our prayer life, can kill our personal walk with God. And we have to choose in our lives to protect those things that are valuable to us it doesn't just come, it's something you have to choose in your life. 
and say, I'm not going to forfeit this. I'm not going to compromise with this. This is a very important part of my life, of my walk with God, so therefore there's no negotiating with it. And that's, that's a personal thing. The preacher can't make you do that. Uh, the pulpit can't dictate you do that. It must come from the heart. It must be because of your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, come into your life, the one who will take you one day to heaven. So the caution is to close the door. Well, not only did he give the caution of closing the door, but he said there are a few things that we could be guilty of. And the first thing is, he said, when you pray in verse 7, don't use vain repetitions. Now, we know that there are those, we think of uh, folk we have known and friends of mine who were brought up in the Roman Catholic Church, and they have told me that prior to coming to the Lord, they were very much guilty of this because they would have used the rosary beads, and that was part of a family. It was a very common tradition. It may still be in certain areas where Roman Catholic families will gather around and they will go through the rosary using the beads. Now, all they're doing is saying words. They're just saying words. Now, that's what the Bible calls vain repetitions. And you may think, well, obviously, um, people who are non-Roman Catholic, they don't do that. Well, you can go to the average Protestant church today, and it'll be done from the pulpit, and the people may also say the Lord's Prayer, and it'll be vain repetition. It'll just be saying the words. But the danger is, as Christians, those of us who know the Lord, we also can fall into this. Vain repetitions. Just saying the things that we have been used to saying without even engaging our heart or mind, we just speak. And one of the problems that I incurred as a young Christian was I didn't really understand prayer at all. I knew I needed to pray because I'd been told to, and when I read the Bible, it said it, but I really, I really didn't know anything about prayer, and I didn't know uh, how to pray. But I would fumble along, and I would sometimes pray, and there was days I didn't pray, and just it was like that. You don't, you don't become a mature praying Christian overnight. Sometimes people can have amazing encounters with God that can radically change their prayer life because God has manifested himself to them in a unique way, and they realize that they have been sleeping on, on, on the game, as it were, and they realize that, that, that they haven't been really seeking God at all. And so there's a sudden uh, turning, and, and, and then people really begin to pray. I have witnessed that on many occasions with people. But you don't become a prayer warrior or, or become really um, skilled, dare I say, at prayer overnight. It takes time. You have to keep praying to learn about prayer. And it is an art. And there are many features to it that are very unique. And the more you pray, the more you want to pray. And the more you pray and you receive the enabling of the Holy Spirit in prayer, 
the more God teaches you about prayer. I used to wonder why Moses, when I first read the Scriptures, a young Christian, how that he spent 40 days at the top of the mountain and all the people were at the bottom. And I used to think to myself, that man must have been bored out of his skull. 40 days at the top of the mountain. But as I grew in the Christian life, and as I'm getting older now, I realize if I was talking to Moses today, Moses would be saying, listen, I was glad to be up at the top of the mountain. I was glad not to be with the Lord's people. You see, the Lord's people weren't living right. The Lord's people weren't seeking God. And it was an environment that wasn't really conducive to the presence or power of God. But Moses said, but when I was at the mountaintop, God was there. I wasn't on my own up there. I was with God. God was speaking to me. I was witnessing the power of God. I saw him writing the Ten Commandments on the tables of stone. I was there when it happened. I beheld angelic activity. It was such a disappointment to come down the mountain and to meet the people of God again. That's because Moses had become a man of prayer. You find it also of the great characters in the Bible that God wonderfully used, whether it's, um, whether it's Paul, the apostle. He spends a long time in the Arabian desert. Then we have John the Baptist. He is actually preaching in the desert. He doesn't actually come to the town or cities. He stays in the desert, and then the people come to hear him. Why is that? Because why were these men? Why was Moses 40 days, 40 years in the backside of the desert? Because they needed to learn about God. Because they didn't have the distractions of the world. It's not easy to maintain and develop a Christian life whenever everybody around you is driving for money, they're driving for materialism, they're looking for this, they're looking for that, the television, all these media, all this stuff is coming, telephone, all coming at us all the time. And we don't realize to what extent that's overwhelming our mind and our spirit. And so it has the impact of killing, killing our walk with God. That's why the old saints, God took them out to the wilderness. No distractions, just time to wait on God. And they became great because they spent time with God. And dear friend, if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to become Christ-like in your life, then this is a very necessary component key to your life prayer. So he said you have to avoid repetition. And also, of course, the Bible says that we have to avoid in the uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes 5 and 2, it says that we, when we go into God's house, don't just start speaking. Don't just start speaking. He said, stop. Remember whose presence you're in. Become aware of the environment of who God is. And so often, I remember when I was a student in Bible college, we had a wonderful principal. He's with the Lord now. But he used to say to us, now, this is what I want you to do. I want us to come to prayer. We would meet every Friday morning. The whole uh, student body would meet for prayer right through to midday. And he said, I want us now, and I don't want anybody to ask God for anything. But he said, for the next 10 minutes, 
I just, if anybody wants to pray, you're just going to thank God. You're going to praise God. You're going to be grateful for all that God has done. And you know, it was amazing how few, probably including myself, how few of us could do it. We were so obsessed with ourselves. We were so obsessed with our problems that just through pure habit and through what we had learned in our churches and through our Christian groups, when we got to prayer, a few sentences, and then it was straight in what we wanted. It's a very important lesson to learn that whenever you're not asking for yourself. Someone has said that prayer really is a bit like going to the doctor. You only go when, you're, when you have a problem. And there's many Christians, and that's your prayer life. It's just you have a problem, so you need to go to God with a problem. That's important, but that's just the lower echelons of prayer. And so God wants to draw us all up. He wants to pull us up, and it's very important that that, that, that happens. So there, there's, there's, there's the closet, there's the warning, and then, and then look at the promise or the covenant that God makes. And it's a wonderful covenant when we have a place where we meet with God. It says, But thou, when thou enter into thy closet, and uh, shut the door, pray to thy Father which seeth in secret, and thy, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee in open, openly. What Jesus is saying is, when you have this place where you go specifically to wait on God, Jesus said, the Father will be there. The Father will be there. Now, that makes prayer much more appealing. If I go into this place, I'm not there on my own. The Father is there. God is there. And as I let that truth permeate into me to realize and to be able to say, God, I thank you, you are here. I mightn't feel him. <laughs> I mightn't sense him. But Jesus said he'll be there. The Christian life is a life of faith. Now, you say, well, Alan, that's all very well. You going in and saying you don't sense anything, and you say, God, I thank you that you're here. Well, this is the one of the wonders of prayer. It's the wonders, actually, of the Christian life, is that you may go into a situation, and God is there, and you don't sense anything. But as you, by faith, as you lay hold on that truth, and you begin to pray and thank God for being there, in other words, there's all the resistance that's telling you you're on your own, God's not here, and you're feeling it. But as you take the weapon of prayer and you begin to praise the Lord and thank the Lord for who he is and all he has done for you, and you begin to get thankful and whatever, then what happens is the thing that you felt was absent, i.e. the presence of God, you will begin to sense the presence of God as you take that step of faith in prayer and praise and gratitude. Then the Holy Spirit will begin to make the Father real. And you will suddenly discover that God is real. And whereas initially you had to kind of activate prayer, you had to kind of go out of your way to start thanking God even though you didn't feel like doing it, what happens is then the Holy Spirit comes and then you begin to actually thank Him. But you can feel a reservoir within. You can feel now, this is not me anymore. This is not me. I actually can sense now the presence of God. If you just go in and tell God or give God a list, then you're going to lose all that. You're not going to develop that. And that's just, those are just the early beginnings of prayer. 
There's a covenant. The Lord said, I'll be there. Now, if you get that into your mind, then wherever you, I happen to have a study in my house, and that's, that's my closet. That's where I go. And I go in and I lie on my settee because of, a, of a, an old back injury, and my settee just is such a weird shape that it suits my back perfectly. And I lie down there, and I just lie there, and I pray, and I worship, and I thank the Lord, and I'm there on my own. And if the children come in, they know that if I'm praying, they might say something, and then they, bye-bye, I'm away. That's okay. But I have my closet. And I try to go in there every day, unless there's something really unusual happening. Every day, go in there and wait on God. And here's the promise. Jesus said, when you go in, your Father, which sees in secret, will reward you openly. If I spend this time with God, then what will happen is there will be an outward evidence of the inward prayer life. One of the things I have found fascinating over my Christian life through literature I have read and through people I have met is that the ones who had this consistent prayer life, they were marked. They really were marked. And there were those that I worked very closely with. And they weren't only marked in their public lives, but when you were with them privately, their lives were marked as well. And that's simply because they, they really valued the presence of God. And they recognized, if I stay in my closet, that's where I touch God. And the book of Corinthians said that when we're in our closet, the Scripture says we are changed, when we're in the presence of God, we are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does that mean? That simply means Whenever we are in fellowship with God, there may be a degree of glory, a degree of God's presence on our lives. But as we wait on God and we keep seeking, the Bible says, then we are being changed. In His presence, we are being changed. And we're being changed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. So we become more and more like Him. And the things of God become more precious to us. And heaven becomes more real to us. I have to say, in recent, in recent last couple of years, I have found myself praying much more about heaven than I ever did before. And I ask God a lot that He would make it more real to me and make it more appealing to me that I really want to go there. I think it's probably to do with loved ones that I have known that have passed on there. And so I'm more fascinated with it. And I'm sure people here who have lost loved ones can identify with that. Heaven becomes real whenever you have people you loved and, and they're, they're gone there now. And you know that's where Jesus has promised you. And so the Lord gives a covenant. But then, friends, the desires for the covenant as we are for the place of prayer can be greatly hindered. And let me go through a few of them very simply with you. The first one is an obvious one. The desire for prayer is always curtailed by sin. When there's sin in our lives then prayer is curtailed. The Word of God says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. You know, during the, I know many of you have heard this, but during the Lewis revival that happened in 1949, just what 
preceded that awakening told by Duncan Campbell was that the several men who were meeting in a home, and when they were meeting in prayer, they were really earnestly, they had been really laying hold on God. God had spoken to them. He had given them a promise that He was going to work, but they had to pray that promise through. They had to bring the promise to God to, to, to get that promise to come. And they were engaging in that. And one night, a young man in the prayer meeting got up and said and quoted, he th uh, who shall enter into the um, presence of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then this young man apparently stood up and said, Lord, are my hands clean and is my heart pure? So you see that if our hands, that is our dealings with people, our dealings with people. And I have to say, friends, one of the things that I constantly come across, and it's a very regular one, is how Christians behave regarding money. How they re behave regarding money. It's when Christianity goes out the door. And if you're not honest with money, if you're not fair with who you, what you charge people, or paying money that's outstanding to people, and you've never bothered paying it, you might as well forget about prayer. I'm being honest, you might as well forget about prayer because these are the practical areas of holiness that the Holy Spirit will put his finger on if you want to get to know the Father. The Father will not simply appear. When you go into the closet, and this I discovered after four or five years as a Christian, I got bored in prayer. I was bored. And I would go in and I would do what the preachers told me and I would try to do my little readings and all. And I was really trying my best, but I was bored out of my skull. I, was, I, I, I couldn't wait to get it over and just get out into the day. And that was how I viewed God. Get this out of the way. Now, why was it like that? It was because there were many things in my life as a Christian that were not right with God. I didn't know it at the time. I just thought if you're saved, then you just have the prayer life, and that's the way it goes. I had no idea of the importance of sanctification. I had no idea of how God w w would deal. And, and you know, I was very quick, and we're all guilty of this, aren't we very quick of pointing out all the faults of everybody else? We're expert at it, aren't we? And we see all their flaws, and we tell everybody how they're all wrong. But you know, friends, what happens whenever you get time with God in prayer? You really will spend so much time dealing with the things in your own heart that are not right. You'll not really find a lot of time to really hammer others. You'll not really find time for it because, believe me, the Holy Ghost will so get a hold of your thought lives. He'll get a hold of your attitudes. He'll get a hold of your responses. He'll get a hold of your business. I mean, if you let him in, boy, he'll do some search. <laughs> but you have to be willing to let him do that. And many are not. They're not willing. But I want to encourage you today, whoever you are, to be willing to let God become real in you. And so, it's curtailed by sin. What do you do? Well, you have to confess your sin. You've got to go and pay that money that you owe. Go and pay it. Go to those people that the money's outstanding to. 
If you can't pay it back at the moment, go and tell them that you're going to. Pay back what you owe. You say, I don't know of anything, maybe. Well, that could be all right, and there might be nothing. But I'll tell you one thing. If you get in earnest with God, and you spend time with the Holy Spirit, there might be things you have totally forgot about, and the Holy Spirit will say, you need to deal with that now. <laughs> I remember doing a mission. I've told this many years ago. And I was all geared up for this gospel mission and getting ready. And I got before the Lord. I said, Lord, now is there anything you want to say to me? I was trying to walk in the light, as the Bible says, as he is in the light. Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? And just like that, boy, like that, God brought me back many years to the farm at home. And my brother used to be in a band, and they had brought, before the 12th, they had brought this old trailer up. And the old trailer, they had sat, and it was full of sweets for the next day. The band was going to sell us. And I looked in through the side. It was about 12 or 13. Looked in through the side, and I saw this box of marathon bars. And I liked marathon bars. And I thought, if I could get my hand in there, and it had all worked out because, you see, we're very clever with sin, all of us. We're very clever. Because I said, if I open this box, somebody will know I've opened, so I'll just take the whole box. They'll not know the box is gone. And I took the box. And I ran up the fields, and I started to eat marathon bars. Well, after the third or fourth, I can tell you, my friends, my appetite for marathons was well waning. But being a 12 or 13-year-old, not a Christian, I never thought about it. I never thought about it. But years later, as I was just saying to God, God, is there anything you'd like to deal with? Is there anything, Lord, you want? And the Holy Spirit says, yes, marathon bars. 20 years before. You see, my dear friends, he's not called the Holy Spirit for nothing. He's called the Holy Spirit because he is infinitely holy. And when you wait on God and you open yourself to God, there are real risks that God will bring things up. Now, if you say, I'm not prepared for that, well then, my friends, you're, for the rest of your life, prayer is going to be pretty pathetic for you. There's not going to be a lot happening for you, I'm afraid, because he's the Holy Spirit. And so, what we have to do then is deal with things. And I had to sit down, write a letter, and I wrote to the, found out the man who used to be over the band, wrote him a letter, give him money that covered more than the box on Mars. And I said to him, listen, I stole this, and God showed me that I needed to pay this back because I'm trying to follow the Lord. I'm trying to be a Christian. And God has pointed this out to me. And he wrote me a lovely letter back and told me he had become a Christian. You see, my dear friends, God will touch things when we wait on him that, that the pastor would never know to touch, that nobody else will touch. And why he does it is because he wants to draw us nearer. He wants to check out, will we really follow him? You see, it's not easy. I'm just using that illustration. But it's not easy when God brings something that you've got to deal with. It's not easy. What God does in our lives is God says to us, 
you really want to follow me? Yes, Lord, I really want to follow you. I want to develop in my Christian life. God says, okay, let's put him to the test. Let's check him out. God's not a fool, you know. Let's check him out. Let's check her out. And God comes with such a thing. And he said, there you are. You know what to do. You know what to do. And God will see whether you'll take that root of humility to go. It's not easy to go and humble yourself and acknowledge, I did wrong. That was wrong what I did. But when you do it and God guides you to do it, my friend, there is immense blessing. There is immense blessing. But not only that, you have stepped onto another level with God. Because had you said no, then God knew that you weren't going to move anymore and God had to let you sit at that level. But if you're willing and reckless with God and say, God, I will obey, then the Holy Spirit will do all in his power to draw you toward the Father, to draw you. And and prayer will, will develop in you as you wait on him. Well, very quickly, our time's whistling by. Sometimes unforgiveness, unforgiveness. I'm always frightened when I hear people saying, I won't forgive. Sometimes you hear them on television or somewhere, I won't forgive. That, that is just goes right through me when I hear people saying that because that immediately bars them from heaven. That bars them from the grace of God. God says, if you do not forgive, neither will I forgive. I don't want to put God to the test on that one. I know people have their theological views on it all, but I don't want to put God to the test on that. I can't afford to carry unforgiveness. I just can't afford to do it. But then the other one, very quickly, is busyness. It's one of the main hindrances to desire for prayer, busyness. You know, there are people who were bright-ish for the Lord when they, as they were coming through camps, they grew up, and they were busy-ish for the Lord. And they got on in business, but then what happens is success in business can be the demise of your soul. I hope you know that. And you need to know where to draw the line even when you're successful. I have known Christians who were really bright for God when they were young, but they became very successful in business. They're nowhere today spiritually. They use all the language. If they have a conversation, they can talk. They can talk about prayer. They've learned all that, but that's all in the past. That's, That's not real to them now because, you see, they got too busy. They got a covetous heart. They got a covetous heart. And then what happened was they lost out with God. And you do well, again, as a Christian, to discipline yourself to realize, listen, I have enough now, whatever that might be. I have enough now. And believe me, as you get older, the things that you wanted when you were young, as you get older, you begin to realize, this is a burden to me now. It could be your house It could be your possessions. And you said, this is nothing but a burden now to me. And that's a good lesson to learn because we're not here to stay. We're passing through. And the danger is that we can be captured by the spirit of the world, which is all around us. And sadly, it's it's very prevalent even in the church. So busyness. Okay, let's come toward the end. The duration 
What do we do when we're in? What are we doing when we go into this closet? Well, Robert Murray McShane was the great Scots worthy. He died when he was 29. And what an impact as a 29-year-old he left for God. His name is still known and noted in Dundee in Scotland. Such was the impact of a young godly man. His prayer life was second to none. When he preached, he wept. And when he died, the whole of Dundee came to a standstill, knowing that they had never in their lives come across a young man so devoted to God and to his people. Robert Murray McShane said this, It is my noblest and most fruitful employment, and it is not to be thrust into the corner. That's what he said. It is my most fruitful employment. The greatest need for you today is my prayer life. The greatest need for you today is me to attempt to walk with God. I don't always get things right. I feel I sin. But the most important thing for those who ever hear me or meet me or whatever is how I'm doing with God. I can't communicate, and you can't communicate what you don't have. You can only communicate what you do have. And Jesus said that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he said then what happens is out of our innermost being flows rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit. So the river of the Spirit flows. And that flows in any life, whether you're a preacher or whether you're involved in some other secular work, whatever it might be, the river is for you. You can have that, and God wants you to. So what's needed? What's needed is, first of all, serious time. You need to give time to God. You have to take time out. Five minutes here and there will never, ever bring strength to your soul. You must take serious time with God. You say, well, Alan, if I try to do that, I have this problem you have mentioned about boredom. Absolutely. I would know that if I'm, as I'm speaking this morning, if you were to put into practice what I'm saying, this is exactly what you'll encounter. You'll encounter boredom. But the good thing about that is that will help you to realize where you are spiritually. That will help you to realize that I really don't have much of a relationship with God here. I am his child. I'm justified. But I really don't have a relationship because I don't really like being with him. I mean, I don't mind the meetings because there's lots of other Christians. I like the singing. I like, but actually just me and God, that bores me, you know. That's a good, that's, that's the way to begin. That's to, the realization. I don't have a hunger for God. And that's the beginning. And so when you do that, then you begin to get honest with God. Don't bring your little list, but say to God, God, really, I'm not getting much out of this. Lord, I, 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 I'm coming, I'm praying, I'm trying my best, and God knows that. But Lord, I, I really don't, I don't really enjoy any of this. That's when you need to begin to ask different things. Instead of going down the ritual, perhaps, that you've had, and you pray, 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 the Bible says, you, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it on your lust. Sometimes we're praying for the wrong things. But when you begin to pray the right things, God will start to work in your life. Start to pray the right things. So what's the right thing? The first thing is to say, God, if there's anything in my life that you don't like, would you just please f*** it up? If there's anything you want to deal with, Lord, in me, Lord, feel free. 
Give, give, him, give him an open door. Give him the freedom to investigate your life. Give him, give him that freedom to come in and, and to go through all the pages of your soul and the prejudices and, and, and different things in you that maybe you don't even know about. You don't even know about them, but he knows. And they are hindering you, but you don't realize that. So you, that's the first step. Be open and honest with God and say, God, whatever you have to say to me, say to me. I remember when God first really, well, he's always working with us, but the first time I really significantly remembered was I began to get a hunger for God as a Christian in a new way. And I was told to go to prayer meetings in Armagh. I went along to them and all these different folk, there was uh, several at the time, it was a mission, and, and they were all praying. And I can remember as those people prayed, they began to bring things to God. They began to pray things like this. I can remember this man praying, Lord, just do whatever you want with me. Take my life. Frightened the absolute life out of me. I never heard anybody pray like that. I heard about praying for your arms and legs and your granny and things, but nothing too reckless. Nothing too, Lord, deal with me. And what I discovered early on was that, that to walk with God there's no point in telling God all what to do about everything else away from yourself. You have to let the light come into yourself. You have to, and you have to keep doing that all your life. You have to let the light keep coming in, and God will keep working with you. And so you need serious time with God, and you need to wait on Him. The other thing that you need is the book of God. You need the Word of God with you. Uh, you don't, don't, I'm not putting you off other books, and there's books are good in quiet times. That's fine. But have the book of God. Have the word of God. You know, George Mueller was greatly used by God. He reared 2,000 uh, children by faith alone in Bristol in England. And, 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 and he, was, he was an amazing little man. He, he, he came in at a time whenever evolution was prevailing in England. And everybody said that God was, was a delusion. It was, it was foolish. And he said, I want to prove to my generation that God is real. That's what he wanted to prove. And so he lived by faith all his life, and he reared all those thousands of children simply by faith. The stories of God's provision to, to that man were absolutely amazing how God used him. But this is how he prayed. He prayed with a Bible, and he got down on his knees, and when he prayed with his Bible, when he came to the Bible, he not only understood what it meant, but then he said, Lord, if that verse kind of has to go through me, if there's something that has to be changed in me, if there's a command in that verse that I have to submit to, then I submit to it. He didn't read the Bible as just a book, but rather he applied the book and he prayed the book through his own soul. He brings it to God. And it's a good, it's a good practice. I do it regularly and I come to a promise or I come to a command and I pray into it and I say, Lord, Lord, help me to, to obey that. Help me to, to apply that to my life. Lord, whatever the Holy Spirit has to do in me to change me that I'll conform, Lord, let that happen. And that's how you, how you deal with the book of God, the Word of God before you. And then, of course, the wonderful thing is you have the Spirit of God. We've mentioned that. We have the Spirit of God. And the Bible says we don't know how we should pray. And if you say, well, I don't know how to pray, well, join the club, but nobody does. But the Bible says that the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. 
And I remember God teaching me that, that simple lesson many years ago when my son was a little boy, and he had a little tractor, a pedaling tractor. And we used to take him on a walk, and there were stones. Uh, and the little pedaling tractor didn't work very well on the stones, and he would get very angry and frustrated and whatever. And, and I then would have to go for the walk, and then you had to push the tractor, and then he'd start crying. And you know, parents, what it's like. And you just finished up, you wished you hadn't gone near for the walk. It, it was driving you by me. So eventually, I come up with a, 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 an idea. I had a rope in the back of my car, an elastic rope. You know those used to have ropes that were elastic? And what I did was I thought, I'm going to keep him happy. And I'm going to be happy. I'm going to enjoy this as much as he does. So I tied the elastic rope around his tractor and tied the other side around my waist. Now, it didn't look too good, by the way. If you were coming along, people saw me. But I didn't care because I was getting peace. And he would start to pedal, and he wasn't getting anywhere. But then, you see, I would start walking, and then he would get that wee pull. And the wee pull would get him over the stone, and then he'd get into a run. And he didn't get caught anymore because I was giving him the wee tug. Now, that's exactly what happens when you pray. When you pray aright, when you pray applying these truths that I have said, when you pray like that, what happens is the Holy Spirit helps us. And you may initiate prayer yourself and feel, I'm not doing too well, not, I'm finding this very difficult. But then as you begin to praise, you begin to thank God for the blessings, and you begin to utilize truths from the Scripture and promises, and you just use those as you wait before God, what will happen is the Spirit will begin to help. Now, this is something that happens very obviously in prayer meetings. I have witnessed this. We have a prayer meeting in our home most Friday nights. And one of the things that I enjoy the most of that prayer meeting is because I know that some person uh, will, will ignite the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting could be maybe a little bit tough. And people pray, and they're, they're giving their lives to Christ. They're committed to following Him, and there's no sin in their lives, and, and they're wanting to, to experience the presence of God. And what happens is someone will pray, and, and it, maybe it's still pretty dry. And then someone else will, will pray, and it's still pretty dry. And then someone else prays, and they strike gold. They touch, it's the old term we use, they touch the throne. They touch God in their spirit. And what happens is that instantly when they touch God by their spirit, the Holy Spirit responds, and it's just like an invasion of the presence of God. I watch it so often occurring, and suddenly everybody who was sitting quite dry, sitting quite stale, suddenly everybody is worshiping the Lord everybody's praising the Lord. Hands go up. People are just moved by the presence of God. And, and you can't create that, friends. You can't make that happen. That's, that's when God invades. That's when the Spirit comes. He comes and He helps. Now, one of the tragedies of our church prayer meetings today across the land is this, that just that particular truth is, is foreign to the church. People don't even understand about how the Spirit comes, how that you can actually cause the Spirit to come. You can go to a place and you can battle, but if you have the right people and they know what they're doing in prayer, 
you can change the atmosphere of any building, any church, any area. You can change it by prayer as God comes down. Well, that can happen to you personally where the Lord comes and He visits you. Very quickly, you need the Spirit, and as we've mentioned, you need faith. You need to keep trusting in God and keep your life open to God. I wonder this morning, has God spoken to your heart? Maybe there are things you need to do. I'm closing with this. You see, Alan, as you've been speaking, I have been thinking about things that maybe I do need to do. But Alan, how do I know whether that's God speaking to me or whether the enemy maybe would try to make a fool of me to get me to go and do something or see somebody and it's not God at all? How would I know? Well, that's very simple. If you feel God tells you to go and fix something, but you're not absolutely certain that it is God, then don't you do anything. You wait on God. And you keep praying about that thing and keep bringing it to God. And as you bring it to God, if it's from God, it will get stronger. It'll get stronger. If you're open and you say, God, I'm willing to do it, it'll get stronger and the impression won't go away. And you'll know then God's saying to me, do this. But if it's not from God and the enemy could be trying to do something to make a fool of you, then as you pray into it, it will die. It will just go away. So don't just rush. Make sure you pray into it and know, and God will guide you. But dear friends, I encourage you this morning to get to the closet, to spend time with God, to develop your Christian walk, and get to know the Father better than you've ever known him before. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your precious word. We want to thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray now, Lord, that you will cause that the truths that we have looked at this morning may be applied. Help me to apply them to my life, Lord, and help those others here to apply them to theirs. And may we know you better and walk with you better. In Jesus' name, amen.